Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This podcast exists because of the paid members at DecodingTV.com. Sign up for ad-free episodes as well as early access to episodes by becoming a paid member at DecodingTV.com. Thanks to everyone at Decoding TV who makes this podcast possible. Ever since I landed in this town, ever since I come across this dude, I've never seen anybody get so lucky so much in my life. Get them dead to rights, everything just so. And every time he skates, cleaner and clothes on a wash line. What's your point? I wonder if anybody's that lucky. I wonder if some combination of this dead judge and this alleged book and this particular shitbird is maybe making people act in ways they otherwise wouldn't. And I'm feeling like I do when I'm being played a fool. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen. I'm Sarah Mars. On today's episode of Decoding TV, we're going to be discussing Justified City Primeval, episode six, entitled Adios. You can find more episodes of this podcast wherever you download your podcast or at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the podcast or of the shows that we discuss. Again, right there at decodingtv at gmail.com. And find more uh, of Decoding TV over on YouTube, as well as Instagram, TikTok, and threads at Decoding TV. All right, Sarah Mars, let's talk about it. We are going to start by sharing some overall thoughts about Justified City Primeval Episode 6, Adios. We're going to do a full, detailed, spoilery recap after that, and maybe make a couple predictions for how the show is going to wrap up. I mean, this is Episode 6, only two episodes remain. What were your overall thoughts on Justified City Primeval Episode 6? I really liked this episode. As we've said before, this is a classic bit of Justified business. It's everyone's plans coalescing at the same time. Everyone's working against each other, knowingly or not. Nothing is going right. It's all chaotic. And because things aren't going right, the stakes are now like in the stratosphere. Like Clement is on to people. So. Indeed. Uh, I thought this was also a really solid episode. Uh, classic Justified, you know, reminds you of the Coen brothers with all these people's plans converging in one place, not going well. I do think some of the plans came together a little bit too quickly for my taste. Some of the plans felt a little bit implausible for my taste. Uh, but overall, I I really liked the episode. And um, it, it's fair to say that the show is already starting to wrap some things up. You know, like it's already it's it's introduced us to a bunch of characters and it is taking some characters off of the chessboard, shall we say. So uh, I'm really excited to to dive into you, uh, to dive into it with you, Sarah. Uh, Before we get into the detailed plot summary, anything else you want to mention about the background of this episode, who made it and so on? Um, Yeah, it's directed by Sylvain White, who has directed basically at least one episode of every TV show from the last 20 years. Um, and it's written by Taylor Elmore and B.J. Boyd, who are both alums of the original series. 
I keep thinking Ta Taylor Elmore is related to Leonard Elmore. It's Elmore Leonard, but it's yes. not. It's just they have the same name in different places. Um, and uh, yeah, that's probably why this one felt so much like Classic Justified is that it's two writers from the original series. You got Elmore Leonard and Taylor Elmore. Yes. Between, just... between the two of them, they have three names right. and no last names. They're all first right. names. Right. It's all first names. And it just keeps getting mixed up in my brain. But Elmore Leonard's son is Peter Leonard. <laughs> uh -huh. Did I say that right? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, I just that's I, just something that happens in my mind. I have to keep double checking the Wikipedia and being like, that is not a relation of Elmore Leonard. I think it's also worth mentioning before we dive into the recap that uh, uh, something that doesn't happen this episode and that the it is third a third episode in a row. It is a third episode in a row where there's no Willa, which uh, I'm just going to say I called it. You know, I yeah. think I think uh, increasingly. I am looking like I know what I'm talking about when it comes to the Willa situation. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought she was going to play into the finale in some way. Clearly, I don't think she is. I think you are right. She's going to show up at the end when Raylan is reunited with her, um, which we can get into a little bit more as we break down the episode, because I do think it comes back to something you just said in your introduction. Um, but it it just increasingly looks like they've just excused Willa from the narrative. <laughs> Yeah, uh, which which is something they're doing. They they did with multiple characters in this episode. We'll talk about that a little yes, bit. Yes, but some uh, of it actually made sense and served a thematic <laughs> purpose. <laughs> I don't know. Never heard of it. Never heard of it, Sarah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do think you know. There's a possibility Willa's going to come back and get up to some hijinks next week. I know? mean, at this Maybe. point, it would really be contributing to that feeling of things being rushed and yeah. you know, not necessarily planned out to the detail. Yeah, agreed. I, I agree. So anyway, those are a few of our overall thoughts on uh, this week's episode of Justified. All right, Sarah, let's talk about what actually went on in this episode. Let's start by talking about Raylan and Carolyn. Carolyn goes to Raylan uh, and talks to him about the book and doing, quote, what is just with it? Um, it appears they spend another night together. Uh, Maureen is now, well, let's pause there for a second, actually. Uh, I, I really like that opening scene. You know, I think they actually have, these actors have great chemistry together. Oh, they do. And, uh, and you obviously, Anjanu Ellis is, is an amazing actor and, uh, you really are rooting for her to succeed in, in what she's trying to do, which is, um, even though she has to bend the law, uh, she's going to strive for a good outcome. Uh, and that is, when you think of Raylan Givens, I think he's somebody that has bent the law in the past. Is that fair to say? Oh, yes. and Frequ With frequency, right? Yeah, not so much in this current iteration 15 years later. Yeah, uh, within yeah. the world of Justified, it's a 15-year time jump. But he has definitely... And she specifically invokes that idea of Raylan's sort of cowboy code of doing what's not necessarily legal, but what is just. Yeah. And that, I think, appeals to Raylan's sensibility a great deal. Yeah. Uh, and she invokes uh, racial oppression uh, in America's past to do that. I, I do think that uh, the topic of race is something that continues to be uh, 
if not relevant to the plot, then at least something that is very much on the creator's minds of this series, right? Well, I think they're they're handling it in a very justified way, which is what I said in an earlier episode, the way they handled the opioid crisis in the original series is nobody ever stopped and gave lengthy lectures about how terrible it is. And it was just part of the texture of the world. And I think the way that they are using not only race, but also um, the idea of bad policing like lethally bad policing um, is kind of the same. No one is stopping and giving big lectures. It doesn't feel. Uh, it was a mini lecture this week. It was a mini. Well, lecture. I, didn't there, mi- I didn't mind it, but it was a, it was a mini lecture. There was know? a moment where it made sense to sort of dig into it a little bit. Um, but it, it hasn't been finger waggy. You know, it's not that thing of like, we're going to tell you about why this is wrong. They're kind I of agree, just yeah. assuming people think that it's wrong. <laughs> And and it's just part of the world. It's part of the world of prosecutors and defense lawyers and police and judges. And it's it's just another layer of context, essentially. I agree. I agree. Uh, anyway, I thought it was worth pointing out. So uh, Maureen is now running the judge's case for D- Detroit PD. And Raylan tells her that Mansell and Sweetie are using the book to shake people's down per Carolyn's info. Raylan proposes a sting using someone from the book fed to him by Carolyn to catch Clement with the book in hand. Maureen and Raylan go to the prosecutor, Diane, who is competing with Carolyn for the judge's bench to propose their sting to catch Clement. Diane's name is in the judge's book for taking bribes to let cops off for bad shootings. They arrest Clement during the sting, but he didn't have the book on him. Maureen assumes someone tipped him off, and Maureen has to talk Raylan down from going after Clement when he's released. So that's kind of what happens with the Raylan and Carolyn storyline. Uh, now, I found the moment when Maureen realizes that Raylan is sleeping with Carolyn to be a little bit far fetched, but I think you really like that moment, right? Because she she kind of he starts talking vaguely about we got to do what is right, and then she's like, "You're sleeping with Clement Mansell's lawyer," you know. And I was just like, "What is that?" She he uses Raylan uses the specific phrase we heard Carolyn tell him yes. earlier, which is "do it the right way." The minute. This is such a credit to, uh, gosh, what is her Marin name? Ireland? Marin yeah. Ireland as an actor, because it's just a split second reaction. But the minute Raylan says we need to do it the right way, her face just changes. And you see that she she knows, you can just tell in that moment, Carolyn has said those words to her in the past. Because she knows the minute Raylan drops that particular phrase, where it came from and what it means. And she is the best detective on the show. <laughs> No question that Maureen is winning above all of them because she put it together and she just got there. Like it just took one turn of phrase. So obviously that's something Carolyn says a lot. Yeah. I mean, I understand. Oh, I guess you've been hanging out with Carolyn. I guess you maybe cut a deal with Carolyn, you know, like, but you're sleeping with Carolyn. All right, fine. I guess she just has that great intuition. Um, All the stuff with Diane did feel a little bit rushed to me. Uh, Raylan's really killing a couple birds with one stone, huh? He is taken out, uh, ide- ideally taken out Clement Mansell, but also taken out uh, Carolyn's competition when it comes yeah. to uh, the judges' bench, right? Yeah, well, Carolyn clearly picked that name. <laughs> this, this book that has so many names, and Carolyn picks that one of the person who's you know going against her for the judges' bench. So Carolyn is definitely 
I, I wouldn't say Raylan's getting two birds with one stone because he hasn't put that part together yet. Carolyn right. is getting two birds with one stone. He's which unwittingly, she's, unwittingly yes, killing two birds with one is, stone. Right? He is part of her plan to both yeah. eliminate her competition for the judges bench and get her most problematic client off of her blotter. Um, so it's for her, it's a good plan. <laughs> it, it does feel a little rushed and, and I just, God, I just keep picking on Willa, <laughs> but I truly think at this point, she is the weakest element of the show. And when you say this feels rushed and so we saw Diane and like, I think it was the first episode. She was with Carolyn at the bar when Willa ordered the stupid sparkler drink for Carolyn. Yeah. Yeah. That was Diane with, um, with Carolyn at the bar. So, and then we just don't see her again until episode five. You know, it, it's like the time we gave to Willa, who is contributing nothing. Um, we could have given to Diane, like some of this could have been a little bit more paced out. And some of it might just be the way TV is made. They started shooting. They're making changes on the fly. You are starting filming episodes before you have other episodes finished writing. I know with the writer strike, one of the big talking points has been mini rooms and like the idea that writers kind of have to have all the scripts punched out before production starts. I, that's, I'm not for mini rooms. They are destructive and I support the writers and the writers strike, but just the idea of, Oh, I don't know. Plot it out. At least have a first draft of your scripts in the bank. Like at least know what you're doing. Know the outline. Know well, the you're, presu- you're presuming they didn't do that in this case. Yeah, or didn't- I, I'm, I'm kind of assuming they didn't just because it, it is feeling like we had a couple of like very table setting episodes and this is an entertaining enough show that you sort of just enjoy spending time with these people. But now that we're approaching the denouement, it's like, Maybe we could have allocated time a little bit better across eight. It's just eight episodes and you're dealing with less space than you had before where you had a little bit more time with 13 episodes to play around, do some side quests. Like you don't have that now. We can't waste time. So it does feel a little bit like, could we have rebalanced the narrative a little bit so that we had a little bit more sense of Diane and Carolyn, their sort of, you know, she's a prosecutor, Carolyn's a defense attorney, like they're both black women in the legal system. They both clearly have some foundational experiences that they share that have made them friends, but they're also on opposite sides of the law. So that kind of, they are sort of the Raylan and Boyd of this iteration of Justified in that they're friends, they have this common background, they Mm -hmm. share something no one else understands, um, but they find themselves in opposition and boy, I would have loved a little bit more of their relationship. You know, I would have yeah. to appreciate Carolyn making this turn of setting her up in right. this way. Like it would have hit, I think, a little bit harder if we had a little bit more Diane and a little bit more of their relationship, which, again, we wasted a lot of time on Willa. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> picture, um, you know, when, when somebody like lunges at someone, they're about to fight them. And then I, like somebody else holds them back by the arms. That's that's <laughs> me trying to hold back Sarah from attacking Willa during this podcast. Sorry. <laughs> Sarah's just... like, Sarah's like, Willa. And I'm just like holding her back. Like, hey, it's OK. It's not that bad. She's not even in the show anymore. It's fine. Um, so, uh, let me talk about things to the show's credit in this regard, right? One of the things Mm -hmm. I love about Justified is it does a pretty good job of introducing all the characters at the beginning, and then they come back in interesting and unexpected ways. And I do think the show played fair in that regard. Dan was introduced relatively early. We get a glimpse of her, I think last episode or two episodes ago. Uh, and then she comes back in a big way this episode. Um, so that's great. I also think one thing that's cool about this episode is... 
it retroactively lets you understand why Carolyn was so pissed last episode, right? The idea that Diane uh, has taken bribes and is corrupt in some way uh, who might get the job that she wants over her is unconscionable. And so she feels like she needs to do something to act uh, to, to, you know, eliminate this, uh, this unjust threat to her future economic and legal future. Uh, so those are things that that I want to praise on the part of the show, and uh, and to have like a, a side character that you weren't paying attention to come roaring back in a big way is one of the joys of watching Justified. It, it's um, very Sheriff Shelby is Drew Thompson. Yeah, exactly that kind of thing. Um, the other thing, uh, so when I say rushed, the the reason why I feel it was rushed is because. First of all, Raylan Givens and Maureen are basically blackmailing this woman, right? Which is which is kind of commented, it's mentioned, but that is a massive red line to cross, okay? Mm-hmm. Secondly, she knows by participating in this thing, uh, like the implications are her career is ruined, which is also something that is that is brought out. Or or like her career is ruined, comma but if she participates in this thing maybe the damage might be somewhat minimized like she doesn't go to jail or something like that i i think the implication of diane's position in the sting is i mean she doesn't want to make it a formal arrangement they bring up confidential informants and she says do you have the paperwork and then i think it's marine is like oh you want to put this in in the record i think the implication is if the sting goes off and they catch clement with the book and they're able to make the arrest. Right. She probably can't pursue the judge's bench because she's not going to withstand a background check. I think the implication is no, people know it's kind of out. Like we know we're going to, I think the implication is kind of like Maureen's going to make sure she doesn't get that judge's bench, but she can probably continue on as a prosecutor because she mm-hmm. seemed to react mm-hmm. on the level of like, okay, going the next step is over. I can't do that. Because there's a record of this thing that I did, and now this good cop knows about it and is always going to have that on me. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's also like by not making it official and all that, like there's a chance that she could remain a prosecutor. She just could never advance any further than that because she's not going to withstand a background check. I think that that all is true. But the point I was making is just that this is a tectonic shift in the character of Diane's life. Oh, and yeah. I felt I felt like there was not enough kind of attention paid to or, you know, it, it, it would be like a life altering sequence of events. And I felt like not enough attention or time was paid to that. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I mean when I say it was rushed. So. Um, so, yeah. Uh, what else do we want to discuss about this plot line? I mean, uh, first of all, they speaking of rushed. Uh, the people in this thing, yes, they explain that they put together this thing really quickly and with a, only a very few people. Um, and also the whole time I was thinking to myself, wow, this is a pretty dangerous situation to put Diane in. Uh, but in any case, it, it feels like pretty rushed. And then they, they, the police officers themselves rush to arrest Clement Mansell, which is not something they should have done um, because... And honestly, it felt like bad policing to me based on what we've seen in other TV shows because you always wait until like the person reveals that they have the actual thing that's going to incriminate them before you arrest them. 
You know but what I mean? They, they moved because he made a threat. Fair and enough. And I, I think Fair Maureen enough. was reading that as if, if we don't intervene, this is going to go south. Yeah. Um, and That's I think true. they've That's all true. seen enough of Clement to understand he just does things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think she was a little bit on the edge of this is going to go wrong. Let's go ahead and move. Um, yeah. I do think it's worth noting too, when they, when they are having a conversation so Raylan and Clement have a little conversation and Clement specifically talks about Raylan's gun and his skills with the gun and having a shootout in the streets. And I was like, mm, foreshadowing. Mm, <laughs> like, yeah. like this is all foreshadowing because it, it's what that it's what um, Raymond Cruz said is it, it's going to end yeah, yeah. in the streets like you're not going to it's not going to happen. You're not going to get this guy the good way. Um, so I, I well, think everything is kind of building to that that final showdown. Well, speaking of uh, foreshadowing in the car between uh, Raylan and Wendell, they have a conversation where Raylan says, this guy is super lucky. I've never seen someone this lucky before. And in fact, Clement does seem extremely lucky every single time. It seems like he is about to be captured. uh, He always evades capture somehow. And uh, Raylan is flummoxed by it. Uh, But I do think what this is saying is that, Clement has someone on the inside and I'm going to put my money on Wendell at this point. Um, Some, somebody tipped him off. Yeah. And, and, you and know. The, the way Wendell responds to it, he says, I don't know what you want me to say to that, but uh, I'm not really interested in talking about Like I'm not really interested in responding in any way. So I really think it's possible they're setting Wendell up as uh, the mole. I, I will, I will be so sad because I like Wendell a lot. Um, but he, but he started this whole thing off by talking about Raymond Cruz and saying he was a cop a little too long and things got sloppy at the end. And we have seen consistently from Wendell that he is over it. He doesn't want to bother with, you know, interrogation and searches and, you know, he's Raylan and Maureen are over here trying to like break the case. And Wendell's just like, Oh, can we just go home? Yeah. Uh, do you so? Do you agree with my prediction, or do you think that? I mean, it it could be, yeah, because somebody definitely. Well, 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 let me off. put it this way: put, two two separate things. Number one, do you agree with my assessment that he's foreshadowing that there is a mole on the inside? And then number two, if there if yes, is Wendell the mole? I will say one hundred percent. If there's a mole, it's Wendell. Um, I okay. am fifty percent on that's what's being foreshadowed, just because it's clear someone tipped. Clement off because he knew not to bring the book or apparently even a page from the book. He didn't even have the piece of paper because Diane wanted her page with her info on it. And he didn't even have that. Um, But that also might could have come from Sweetie because Sweetie was setting uh, Clement up to be murdered. And it could have just also, it's a little bit ambiguous right now i think that's going to be a reveal maybe in the next episode maybe in the finale but i think that's going to be kind of a big reveal of who tipped clement off because they deliberately leave it a little vague um it's clear he was tipped off but was it uh sweetie or was it um there's no way that doesn't make any sense though sarah because if well, why, if sweetie it, tipped it, him off why would he kill him why would clement kill sweetie which is what happened in this episode well, because one, Clement doesn't make the best decisions. And two, um, it, it's the betrayal. It doesn't matter if he, it doesn't matter in Clement's mind. It doesn't matter if Sweetie does him a solid, if the last thing he does is a betrayal. 
And I think from the position of assuming Sweetie's the one who tipped him off, Sweetie wants to get rid of Clement. He doesn't necessarily want to get rid of the book. Carolyn's thing is to get the book into the possession of the police because I think she's thinking, I can take out Diane, get her out of the way for the judge's bench. Yeah. I can get Clement out of my life. You know, he'll finally go away forever. I won't be obligated to represent this guy after he's in jail. Um, because she's maybe she's not an appeals lawyer. She can pass his appeals off to someone else. And also that book, which she has seen and she understands to be very damaging to high profile people in the city will be in the possession of the police who maybe at least in the case of Marine, perhaps she trusts to do something with it. Because as she said, you know, do do what is just. And maybe if the police have this book, they can start making some arrests on various bribery, fraud, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think for Carolyn's perspective, it is all of these things have to happen. Get rid of Diane, get rid of Clement, get rid of the book, get the book into police custody. But mm-hmm. for Sweetie, it's just get rid of Clement. He doesn't really care about the rest of it. He just wants Clement out of his life. But that book is damn useful. And Sweetie is, you know, he's a player. He He's been involved in Shady Enterprise. He knows that world. He recognizes names in that book. And I don't think Sweetie's above using that for leverage. He just doesn't fucking want Clement around. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so I I don't agree because I think that what we do see is there's a very cool scene that I really liked where, that we'll talk about, I guess, a little bit more momentarily, where uh, Sweetie's like, hey, I got to go extort someone with a book. Hey, Clement, got to go extort someone with a book. And then Clement's like, whoa, without me? And then he kind of makes it seem like it's Clement's idea to to go and extort someone, right? Which mm-hmm. I thought was very smart on Sweetie's part. That way, if anything goes wrong, Clement can't blame Sweetie. Uh, and in fact, something does go wrong. And I think we're we're supposed to believe that whoever tipped Clement off, therefore knows that Sweetie set him up in some way, right? Yeah. It, it, he, he, you know, Sweetie actually set Clement up to be murdered, mm-hmm. but Clement doesn't know that. Clement just knows that Sweetie set him up in some way. Um, is my understanding, you know? Yeah. Well, um, I, mean, I, I think Wendell does make a lot of sense. I just think that they deliberately left it a little bit vague so that they can have the big reveal a little bit later of like, oh, this is who did it. This is who tipped Clement off. Um, I just think if if Sweetie tipped Clement off in a scene that takes place between when he gives Clement the book and when Clement kills him, right? In yeah. an unseen scene. That's true. Un- unseen That's true. scene. That that actually destroys the dramatic tension of the, or not destroys, but it lessens the impact of the That's final true. scene between Clement and, and Sweetie. So uh, this is our first strong, I think our first <laughs> after six episodes, strong disagreement on this on this podcast. But I do think, it, you know, it's it's better if what we see is what actually happened in terms of what happened between Clement and Sweetie. That's um, true. But anyway. Any other thoughts on the Carolyn Raylan stuff before we get to the Sweetie stuff? Um, okay, uh, no, not really. I mean, just that Carolyn and Raylan cannot stay away from each other. <laughs> um, even when they don't really trust each other, even when everything is going to shit, they cannot stay away from each other. I had this weird thought watching the, the they kind of have a little encounter, I think, towards the end of the episode outside of her house. Mm-hmm. Have you realized that there is a lot of stuff that takes place outside of her house? 
Yeah, they clearly like that house is is clearly like not occupied because they seem to just have very free and easy access to it at all hours of the day for shooting. Yeah, yeah, so... that was that's what I was saying. Is like I bet they had access to the outside of the house, and it's like it's a lot easier to shoot right outside of a physical location oh. as opposed to needing to move all your equipment inside of it. You know, and yeah. you need to get permission to shoot inside of it. Yeah, so no shooting inside of residential buildings, yes. just like a little inside baseball for filmmaking stuff is yeah. it's a screaming nightmare it looks i think personally it looks better than almost any built set because you have a level of authenticity and the rooms make sense and things like that but it just also is i mean i have i have seen sets where they have had to take up wood floors to lower a floor because an actor is too tall yeah um you know it, it's like you have to rewire an entire room <laughs> or you have to change all the wallpaper. Yeah, you have to like change the walls, you know. Yeah. yeah and so the, the, every time, every time Carolyn and Raylan meet outside of Carolyn's house, I'm just like, well, they're saving, they're saving some more budget by not shooting it inside yeah. our house. There's yeah. only like, I think total seven shots inside that take place house. inside Carolyn's and house. I you bet know what they I mean? got so. them all on the same day. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they did have a scene in the hotel where Raylan is standing that drove me crazy because his hotel room number was 2005 and Carolyn was standing against the door of the room across the hall and it was 2003. And in a hotel, it's evens and odds on the same side of the hall. So she should have been standing against 2004 or 2006. Mm-hmm. That just, yeah. that was just like, that's just me. That just drove me crazy. The most <laughs> egregious <laughs> continuity error in the show. 2003 well, it's next just to her. the little yeah. things it's just the little things <laughs> uh i i think that's completely fair i mean okay i, I don't know sir i think you're right most of the time like <laughs> your assessment on hotel room numbers is right most of the time i, I don't know I, I feel like occasionally there might be a hotel that like has a number like you know 201 202 203 all the way to the end and then like loops back there, there's some hotels with weird numbering schemes you know sure. I, I think that's true <laughs> so maybe they're just in a weird one of those weird hotels so. sure yeah but also note that they didn't shoot inside the hotel room for that scene either. They just right there in the hallway, right, right in the hall. <laughs> you know, so it's just a, the, the the show is finding interesting ways to save on the budget. And personally, I, I salute it. I so. think the only interiors we are consistently seeing is the penthouse that um, yeah, uh, what's her face, Sandy and Clement are yeah. crashing in. Del oh, Weems's penthouse. yes, which I do want to note. Like great piece of set dressing. What is going on from the first episode to episode six? Just the slow degradation, the slow accumulation of trash and debris <laughs> in that penthouse. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. this is these people are not cleaning up after themselves. They're not taking like they're making no effort here. It, it's great. It's just like if you go and look at like every episode, look at a shot of that penthouse, and it's just like yeah. it's getting a little bit worse every time we see it. Which I really that is great set deck and really good production design. And it's telling a story of its own, but right. So, so they clearly like knew where they needed to take their shots, right. Yeah. In, in the show. And I think they, they have, um, other than the will of time, which Sarah's really <laughs> against, like, I think they've mm-hmm. actually done a good job of optimizing, like where the budget goes for the show. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, do you think we're ever going to meet Del Weems? Sarah no, I, I think he's just, I mean, haven't they even, I mean, either he's dead in the freezer. I think I've said this before because he was clearly one of Sandy's marks, right? Yeah. At the casino, he's a rich guy that she sussed out. Either he's dead in the freezer and they're living in his place or he really is out of town. Like he really yeah. might just be out of town on an extended trip for some reason. And they're crashing there while he's gone. I don't think we're ever going to see him. I don't think it matters. I think the point is he's just another one of her cons and they're living in his penthouse and slowly trashing it. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Well, those are our thoughts on the Raylan and Carolyn storyline for this episode. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Let's get to what's going on with all the other folks this episode. Clement, Sweetie, and Sandy. Once again, the person Clement and Sweetie are shaking down does not have as much cash on hand as they're looking for. I thought of you, Sarah Morris, when this happened. <laughs> because this guy gives them thirteen or 12K, and he's supposed to give them 15K, right? Yeah, slightly less than they asked for. And Clement says, well, if he's got 12K, he definitely has 15K. No, he doesn't. They, no, he doesn't. And it, I'm just like, yep, he, he just... He just expects people to have more cash than regular everyday people to do. And this is what happens when an old school criminal intersects with modern day society. Anyway, Clement ends up in a comical foot chase, except it ends with the victim dead on the pavement. Clement <laughs> I know, wants... it's, it's not funny, but just Boyd Holbrook in that scene and the way that it's shot, the camera just sticks in place and he's just running further away going, hey, come back, slow down. I just want to talk. And then it gets hard cut to the guy dead on the pavement. <laughs> I thought it was funny because I actually think, you know, hashtag Clement Mansell was right in this case because uh, he says to Sweetie, I didn't I didn't pull a gun on him. I didn't say, you know, I just wanted to talk. And the guy got really scared, as he should have been. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Clement, Clement just, you know, we don't know what Clement would have said, but he, he didn't pull a gun on him. You know, he didn't. No, he, he so, was ch- and like he, very half acidly chase. Again, it's a very yeah. comical moment. Now, to the be fair, he did he... ram his car into the car, so like that—that yes. that is that did show that he's a danger. But uh, it, it's one of the least threatening things that Clement yeah. Mansell has done in the show so far. It's a you know? mild action on his behalf, and this guy literally—and it, it's implied that he—I mean, Sweetie says you threw him off the roof, but Clement's defense is, "No, I didn't touch him. He did that." So it, is it the guy like either tripped and fell, or just in the panic of the moment heaved himself over the edge, not quite realizing how high it truly was? Yeah, like, yeah. whatever. But it, it just again like very well filmed, like great setup, great scene, and just pretty pretty funny the way Clement's just like, no, come back, I just want to talk, and then that hard cut to the guy dead on the pavement. Yeah, I was shocked, it, but it's kind <laughs> it, it kind of remind me of like classic Justified when. You know, during uh, original Justified series, it's true that sometimes a character would just die out of out of nowhere, right? That that would yeah. happen with some regularity. Anyway, uh, Clement promises Sandy that he just wants to get around twenty thousand dollars more from the book before uh, going to Aruba, and he also promises he won't let anything happen to Sandy because Sandy just wants to get out of there because she's already seen 
too much she's death. Too much. Too much. Too much death. She's just like, let's get out of here. So anyway, Bert Dickey hires a thief named Lonnie to get his painting back from Clement Mansell. Lonnie and Sweetie talk about getting the painting back, but Sweetie is interrupted by a call from Diane about the book, with Maureen and Raylan listening in. Sweetie and Diane set up a meet to exchange $30,000 for her page out of the book. Sweetie sees this as a chance to get out. Sweetie clues Lonnie in on the meet, intending to set up Lonnie to kill Clement, so Sweetie also tells Clement about the meet, uh, in a scene that I described already as very, very smart and really well done on Sweetie's part. Uh, Carolyn and Sweetie's plans are conflicting, and so Sweetie tries to tries to cancel the hit on Clement. Uh, after Lonnie goes to talk to Sweetie, uh, I'm sorry. After Lonnie goes to talk to Sweetie, but Clement shows up and kills him while Bert Dickey is on the phone. Sweetie checks the jukebox for the gun, but it's gone. Clement kills Sweetie and burns down the bar. So that is what happens this episode. The unfortunate end of Sweetie. Yeah, this episode. I- Shout out to Vondi Curtis Hall. He's so good in that role and just has such great, like he's cool and smooth, but you can see him getting tenser and more wound up. And boy, you can just read his dislike of Clement and such a good performance, such a, such a good performance. But the minute he said the words, it's my chance to get out. I'm like, all right, this is, this is the end of sweetie. (laughs) Well, it's also just, he, he is a tragic character, right? That becomes entangled with this force of nature and he cannot extricate himself. And that is sweetie's arc this season. And I think it's, it's appropriately tragic and sad. And, uh, and the way he goes out is like a boss, you know, like my heart goes out to Trinell. Yeah. You know, (laughs) uh who who, sweetie's uh partner's boyfriend yeah Yeah. so that's that's a sad one but yeah no that last that last confrontation there's a couple great sweetie clement moments in this episode one is the scene you've already mentioned where sweetie kind of manipulates clement into going to the meet with diane which was brilliant the way that he like pricks clement's pride by saying i don't trust you you lose your temper you're unreliable and you can just see clement being like no, I, I can, I, I can do it. Like I, I'll show you, I can do it. Yeah, classic reverse psychology. <laughs> there, it's, it's, there is, there does really seem to be a part of Clement that wants Sweetie's approval, that yeah, cares yeah. about his opinion, uh, about his criminal enterprises, and about his singing. Like, <laughs> but he genuinely seems to want that from from Sweetie. But in the end, what trumps that is his own sense of survival and. You know, nothing is going to get between what him and what he wants. And Sweetie puts himself in the way. And no matter how much Clement might like him, at the end of the day, he's not going to tolerate that. And so he, they do have that final confrontation in the bar. And yeah, he says, close your eyes. And, and Sweetie is like, no, you're going to do it like this, staring me in the face. And um, that doesn't slow Clement down, but it was a boss move. Yes, yes. But also in that scene. Sweetie goes for the gun in the jukebox mm. and it's gone. Yeah. So now that gun is back in play. Yeah. Really curious what happened there, you know, but anyway, any, any predictions as to what might've happened there? <sighs> I mean, maybe Trinell took it. Cause at one point I think Carolyn said to Trinell, like you should, you know, like she basically yeah. says that's your insurance policy and you should know you like, I think maybe Trinell took it. I mean, who else could it be? Like the the only people it could be are Trinell, uh, maybe Carolyn, maybe Sandy. You know what I, I mean? I like, don't think I, Carolyn would put her own hands on the gun unless it was brought to her in a manner of "I am turning this over to you as an officer of the law." Right. And I don't fa- think she and the would fact actually. That, and the fact that um, 
Sweetie thought it was there indicates he didn't do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He so, went for it like he expected that gun to be there. So yeah, I think yeah. maybe Trinell, after Carolyn kind of warned him, like, this is your insurance policy. You yeah. need to do something with that. Um, did Sandy know the gun was in the jukebox? I don't think so. And so. you know what? I like Sandy. I don't think she's that bright. Um, so, but I do have, okay, I'm bailing on the prediction that Will is coming back because clearly she's not. Um, maybe again i'm not i'm not even willing to predict i'm not even willing to predict that willa is not going to come back the time for her to come back was last episode or this episode coming Mm -hmm. back in the penultimate episode it's too much um but sandy takes that that painting that clement stole from bert dickey yeah he she takes that to an art gallery. She gives a total story that the gallerist is like, this is bullshit. I don't believe you. But she's yeah. getting the painting appraised. And the painting seems to be of perhaps some value. They keep, the artist is fake. I Googled the name. It's not a yeah. real person. Stanley but, Garlic is the name of the artist. Not a real, not a real artist. Yep. Yeah, but it, it, they keep saying his name yeah. like yeah. there's something to it. And, you know, yeah. again, like Bert Dickey had it in Pride of Place in his office. He pointed it out. He named the artist. It's that thing I said before about the Albanian, which is... Boy, shady money all over the art world. <laughs> and, um, you know, so it might be something like that. But they, the painting seems to have some value. Sandy seems to have clocked that. She takes it to get appraised. We don't know what happens from that. We just know that she's taken it to a gallery to have it valued. And then, so Bert Dickey is on the phone when Clement kills Lonnie, which is the thief that he hired to steal a painting back. And he says, it's time to go to the Bahamas. <laughs> Right, which is, I think, the show's way of saying we're not going to see David Cross again on the show. Right, but <laughs> what I would love is for my girl Sandy to get some money out of that painting, get on a plane, and then we just see her on a beach meeting Bert Dickey. <laughs> because I feel like they're cut from the same cloth. They're scrappers. They're hustlers. Bert mm-hmm. Dickey has pulled himself up further in the world, but he's a shady guy and she's a shady yeah. girl. And like they could, I'm like, this is a power couple in the making. Let's let them, they, wow. need, they need umbrella drinks in hand. They need to meet on a beach. This is Kokomo. This is the fantasy. This is Sandy getting out, like getting all the way out because Bert Dickey's rich. Like whatever he, mm-hmm. whatever else he is, he does seem to be a scumbag. Um, but whatever else it is, he's rich. He's real rich. He's not Clements crashing in people's penthouses and stealing cars rich. He's really rich. I'm like, Sandy, go get your man. Well, that is a 26-year age difference between David Cross and... Uh, that would not stop uh, a, man, a man like <laughs> Bert Dickey or a woman like Sandy. That would not stop either of them. In fact, fair, that would make Sandy more attractive because then she'd kind of be a trophy wife. She's a beautiful young woman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fair, fair enough. We'll see if that plays out. I, mean, I have to won't. say I uh, am really impressed with this show for introducing us to the character of Lonnie uh, in the way that it did, which is... Bert Dickey shows up. There's an exterior shot of Bert Dickey at the outside of the house. He goes inside Lonnie's house. Like you see lots of shots of the inside of Lonnie's house. Like it's almost like, oh, the show wants us to learn who this character is. You get a sense of this guy's had bad luck. He did a job for Bert Dickey. It didn't go well. Uh, And then end of the episode, no ceremony, no warning. Just shot, execute, like executed, you know, right off the bat. And we've we've said it before, but this is what Justified is very, very good at. They're yeah. very good at introducing these characters, telling you, showing you who they are, um, and then just immediately everything goes wrong. And you kind of, I mean, you know, Lonnie's not a good guy, but you kind of like him. You're kind of yeah, rooting for him. Like, he's like, you know, well, for one thing, he's supposed to kill Clement Mansell, which is yes. like positive, right? 
Yeah. And then I really like the scene when they're about to, he's about to kill Clement Mansell and you're like, did he get the message? And then you find out he didn't get the message, but it's okay. He's smart and he sees that Clement's being taken in. And so everything's okay. And, you know, I, I breathed a sigh of relief for Lonnie. Yeah. And then, then that made his sudden killing later on all the more shocking, you know? Uh, yeah, it's so like you avoid one trap only to fall into the next one. Exactly. And so I, I really liked everything the show did with Lonnie, just, I just setting him up, like showing us so many locations. Again, we, we've, we've just talked about how the show doesn't have that many locations in general. And so the idea that they're showing you a bunch of Lonnie's home and stuff and setting him up as though he's going to be this major side character and then just killing him. Uh, I just th- thought was very bold. So. Well, it is it is like that smart allocation of budget, which is to say we're not going to spend the money on shooting inside Carolyn's house more than like one day because we're going right. to take that money and spend it on building Lonnie's trailer and <laughs> right. everything we learn about him from his living situation um, and the kind of, you know, what we can glean from that thing. So it, it is like they're very smart. They They clearly have more money than the original series. But they obviously don't have, you know, Marvel Secret Invasion two hundred million dollars. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with. I don't know if I even agree with that. Maybe it's the same amount of, or like, probably more amount of money per episode. You know, uh, but I don't know if like the season had a much bigger budget oh, than a regular season. Yeah, because season they're of the five show. episodes down, so yeah. they could have just reallocated. Yeah, like what the average cost of a thirteen episode season is, but we're only spending it on eight. Yeah. Uh, also, the, also, filmmaking has advanced a lot since Justified ended. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, filmmaking tools have gotten cheaper, and you know, so I, I think, I think uh, we're seeing improvement on a number of fronts here. So yeah, anyway. but they're very smart with how they're, what locations they're choosing, what locations they're building, how much we're seeing of them. Like it's, it's smart. Uh, Sarah Morris, we haven't talked about the most important thing about the episode, right? The the most important performance of the episode. And that is Clement Mansell's cover of the White Stripes Seven Nation Army, which he forces Sweetie to listen to and render verdict on before he shoots Sweetie in the chest. Right. Uh, so, and we know from before that Clement has some insecurity about the way he sings. So what did you think of this performance that Clement makes of Seven Nation Army? Well, it's funny because it's clear that Boyd Holbrook actually has a pretty decent voice like he's on key you know like he's he's doing it he's hitting the notes but it's also like a deliberately bland very like college band level not even good college band just like average frat band level performance and that's basically what sweetie says is like there's there's nothing there's nothing to it it's not special it's not unique there's no there's nothing memorable about it um, wow, brutal! And Sarah, it, it's <laughs> Sarah. Perhaps you should apply for a job at Pitchfork. After, well, I think uh, I think that's what they were going for. They, he sounds like a dime a dozen. Like after the White Stripes got big, there were so many knockoff bands, and as you just go down the tiers, this is always the case when one band gets big. There's the rush to like sign other bands that sound like them. And it's like, not everybody is Jack White. Like, not everybody is Kurt Cobain or Eddie Vedder. Like, as you go down the tiers, it gets a little bit blander, a little bit more vanilla, less interesting, less good. And that's, you know, Clement is somewhere on that. But clearly he had this aspiration. This is, I think, revealing to us, like, he 
he talks a lot, like he steals the cars he steals to get the good sound systems. He likes the tape decks and the old cars. And, and, um, you know, he, he was actually playing this, I thought in the first episode when we met Clement, he plays Seven Nation Army. He steals that car at the gas station and Seven Nation Army comes on. But I remember thinking at the time, that doesn't sound like Jack White. Um, it's clear in this episode, they recorded the song with Boyd Holbrook and that he's listening to his own like demo cover of Seven Nation Army. Um, I think it's maybe some something that we've learned these little bits of Clement, like the, the story about his mom dying in a tornado is that's, you know, maybe that's true. Like that might actually be a true thing that happened. And here we're learning like he loves music and he maybe has a thwarted ambition of being a musician and he just didn't have the the real talent to cut it. You know, like he just wasn't good enough. And maybe that's part of why he's so crazy. <laughs> Yet another story of a, a great tyrant who, if he had just been accepted for his artistic pursuits, uh, yeah. people's lives would have been saved. I guess, the, I guess the moral of the story is we need to let every mediocre white guy <laughs> into whatever creative industry he wants to save the world from his havoc. Absolutely. If there's any takeaways from Justified City Primeval, let it be give the contracts to the mediocre white dudes. You know. Uh, yeah, it, that's that's a pretty good analysis uh, assessment of of Clement Mansell's ability, which is it's very competent. You know, it's fine. It's not amazing. Yeah, he's not bad. I it's mean, not I do think it's, it's not it's not laughably terrible. It's yeah, just, it's it's yeah. notable that he's not. It it would have been sweet almost if he was terrible, because then it's like, oh, you're just really bad at it. But it's mm -hmm. like he's just good enough that you can kind of see that. Somebody somewhere down the line, maybe in his youth, encouraged him to pursue music and it didn't pan out. It's like, it's and it was the most damaging thing they could have done to that person. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> and he probably killed that person. <laughs> um, but it's like, is Clement Manziel like a frustrated, gifted kid? Mm -hmm. Like, did yeah. someone tell him at the exact wrong point? Did you receive too much praise at the exact wrong point? to make you think you could do something that in fact you can't do. Uh, the only thing that I found slightly unbelievable is that sweetie would actually plug in the uh, plug in the jukebox because uh, he comments on it. He's like, you know, he, he doesn't want to die listening to Clement Mansell's music. Uh, and that's a very understandable thought. You know, I, I would also not want to die listening to his cover of white, white stripes, seven nation army. Um, but I guess they needed to have him plug. They needed to have him unplug the jukebox so we could hear the Seven Nation Army cover and have the character of Clement Mansell make more sense to us. So yeah. Anyway, all right. Any other thoughts on the episode, Sarah? Before we get to our favorite quotes, um, let me see. I'm trying to think. There, I think we've hit kind of all the major highlights. I was very sad about Sweetie. I really enjoyed Bondi Curtis's Bondi Curtis Hall's performance. Um, but I, I think things to keep an eye on just going forward is who has that gun? I think the major questions are who has the gun? What happened to the gun in the jukebox and who tipped off Clement, which you're right. Yes. Wendell makes the most logical sense, but I think yeah. we're supposed to be wondering right. who tipped him off. Um, I, he's not the only possibility. Um, I would say Maureen is a, is Oh possible, no, like, I, it would kill I, I, I me. Doubt it. I doubt it. That doesn't make any sense with what we know about that character, you know, but <sighs> Um, that would, that would absolutely like break my heart. <laughs> Wendell is the strongest candidate, I think. So we'll yeah. see. 
Yeah. And, and I agree with you. The gun being in play is another big thing. Um, I'm also just kind of curious. Uh, this is a huge mess. This whole situation, this episode is a huge mess. Uh, this uh, Diane, you know, they didn't ensnare Clement, you know, uh, also, uh, Sweetie and Lonnie are dead. You know, like, mm-hmm. the, the, the bar has burned down with their bodies inside of it. Like, uh, I assume that Carolyn and Raylan are going to be quite upset by these developments. And I'm very curious, like, how um, the impact of these events will cascade down the rest of the series. So, yeah. Anything else? Uh, you know, we're in the final two episodes next, starting next week. Anything you want to see, you know, other than Willow coming back in force? <laughs> Um, just justify all that time we spent on her. Yeah, I, I really, I, I think it's kind of inevitable. And I've thought this from the moment we met Clement, that it is going to end in a showdown in the streets, that they're not yeah. going to be able to make a neat arrest and run him through the system and do it all by the book. I would almost like it better if they did though. I don't think that's the justified ending. You know, I think the justified ending is maybe they get some people, um, that are somehow involved in these things, but Clement, you would almost you know, like it if they did, if the show did what? Well, if, if the show actually went the route of, no, they actually do manage to arrest him and they do manage to arraign him and put right. him on trial and put him behind bars. Um, I, I don't like the idea that the show's message is sometimes justice is only possible extra judicially. Like that's, I don't think that's a good message to have for a TV show in this day in and age this, personally. Yeah. You know? But that's also kind of like, that's who Raylan is. Hey, like, <laughs> I, I understand. I understand that. I'm not saying I don't know what kind of show I'm watching. Uh, I, but we all, we also kind of, when we started this, we kind of hoped, hey, maybe the show will have a different perspective on justice these days, right? Yeah, and but there might be a way to thread that needle. I mean, yeah. I think there yeah, are yeah. ways that they could show that, like, I mean, because they did get Boyd Crowder in the original series the whole thing culminates they do get Boyd Crowder he is sentenced in jail that all kind of works out the way that it should Raylan still has the showdown boon in the street you know they still have their standoff um but I I just I don't know I think it's a kind of a precise thing that they have to sort of the line that they're skating is very thin between we don't want the moral of the story to be that sometimes extrajudicial justice works out and um, your your character's a modern day gunslinger. Eventually, he's going to have to sling his gun. There's yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see how the show threads that needle, or if it does. But uh, I'm interested. I'm curious. So uh, that's it. That's what that's what I'm kind of curious to see how it resolves. Is like, it, will it be able to thread that needle successfully? We'll see. So yeah, lots more ahead. Uh, but it's been a pleasure talking about the show with you, Sarah Mars. Before we get to our favorite quotes, let people know where they can find more of your work on the internet this week. Uh, my writing appears on leanygossip.com. You can find my film reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and TV reviews on Rotten Tomatoes under Sarah Mars. And I'm on various social medias at Cinesnark. And of course, uh, be sure to check out more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us. Let us know what you thought of the episode and of the podcast at decodingtv at gmail.com. And uh, be sure to check out our coverage of uh, Twisted Metal, which is happening right now in this week in streaming on the Decoding TV podcast feed, as well as our YouTube channel. Also, we'll be covering Ahsoka, the new Star Wars series, next week, right here on Decoding TV, in addition to the next episode of Justified. All right, Sarah Mars, your favorite line from this week's episode? 
my favorite line came from Diane. She said, I think Carolyn or Raylan said, how's your day? And she said, hell would spit this day out and called it overcooked. Great line. Great yeah. line. Yeah. Uh, I like the dialogue that Carolyn and Raylan have at the beginning where she says, can I trust you? And she says, and he says, in my experience, you, you got to ask somebody, can you trust them? It likely means you already don't. Towards the beginning of this series, uh, Sarah, you commented on how the, the lyricism of the language was not quite there yet. But I think over time it's gotten there. You know, I think over yes. time it's it's gotten to the level. Of, oh, that's some that's a great saying. Like what I would remember from the original Justified, and uh, I like that we're seeing that come back. So, yeah. All right, folks. Two episodes remain. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, let us know what you think again at decodingtv@gmail.com. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>